0: Trina for leading us into worship. A warm welcome to our service here in Manfield. If you're here in person, if you're watching at home, it's lovely to have you present as we worship God together. There's a lot happening in our service today. Um, I'm not going to uh, give you a a summary of what's happening. You'll just have to wait uh, and see and enjoy all we have. In our service this morning. We have two of our blocks from last week, you will remember. We were thinking about hearing and we were thinking about listening. We've added one block and that block says power. I want you to think before we enter into worship about power in the world where do you see power in evidence is power a good thing is power a danger just take a few seconds to consider power in our world and society today not always saying that power, of course, is a bad thing, but I am going to remove it, and I'm going to replace it, with the word respect, perhaps contrasting energies, think about respect, where do you see respect in the world? Where do we receive respect in our communities? Respect, the giving of respect, can be something powerful, can't it? Something powerful to make a difference to the two people involved in the connecting point or the organisations, or the nations, or the religions. Respect is a word that we find a lot in scripture and we are encouraged, in our faithfulness, to show respect to others. I'm now going to invite Anne to lead us into worship with the call to worship.
1: Space. We're all able. Take your seat. Whether you're in your Sunday best, or dressed down for the weekend, or even still in your night clothes at home, know that your presence brings delight. Come as we worship together.
0: Our first hymn is. 510 Jesus calls us here to meet him
2: and glory. We come to you this morning from many different places and experiences. We come with our faith and our doubts, with our hopes and our hurts, and our hearts longing to be healed. We come. Almighty God, King of Kings, Lord of hosts, we have many different names for you. How hard it is, indefinable and unnameable one, for us to know how to address you. Our brother, our companion, the servant king. No names or titles can capture it all. We remember you told Moses, don't worry about my name. I just, I am. We want a title that will show our respect without taking for granted the upside-down world of the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. We want to follow Jesus to be welcoming to those in need and to stand up against the oppressive hierarchies of this world to which he was so utterly opposed. So perhaps we should simply be quiet for a moment or two without names or words to let the unexpected, wonderful mystery of your being fill and surround us. Loving God, you value people for who they are, not how much they possess. You notice the invisible ones. You hear the silent ones. You see the potential in those who have long since written themselves off as worthless. You shower compassion on those who have been most harshly judged, and you judge the powerful and the privileged by how much compassion they show. Forgive us, gracious God, for our every failure when we choose not to see those in need, when we refuse to listen to your hurting ones, when we forget to care for our neighbors in love, and when we ignore the need to look after this gorgeous planet. We are sorry. Flood us with your mercy and your grace so that we can truly start becoming what you have called us to be. Your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, and your heart in this world that you made and have never stopped loving. Raise awareness of our favoritism and help us to love as you showed us how to love. We join our voices now in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're now going to listen to a letter from James. That's a video for you to watch.
0: Angela is going to lead us in a knowledge prayer.
1: Maybe a new set of china, or champagne instead of tea. Is that allowed? So We'd be on telling and all of social media. The church will be full and so with the corruption players. We know exactly what we do and we can be out of the door and off to the nearest Before we could say, love me to see you. God help us to value people as you do. For what is inside, not what is on the show. May our church be a sort of place where everyone can be sure and well.
0: You You will have recognised something different about the wall behind me this morning. We have set time this morning to dedicate new banners to the glory of God. They have been gifted and created in love to beautify this sanctuary and to remind us of God's grace and love. They are appropriate to call attention to our new worship season as we enter into the month of September, particularly following a period of uncertainty for us all. But these banners provide a visible reminder of our faith and our confidence in god's grace we hear the words of the psalmist from psalm
2: 20. may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans may we shout for joy over your victory and in the name of glorious
0: quite significant, really, that we're dedicating these banners at this time. One of the last events in the church in the early spring of 2020 was a birthday party, a birthday party for Chrissy. Because I'm not going to embarrass you with the actual age, but there was a zero at the end of, of the birthday. And it was a, a great occasion. It was just Chrissy all over uh, with her friends and some family, and just uh, good old fashioned fun um, and, and fellowship in the hall. These banners um, have originated in a, a donation, in a, a gift uh, that Chrissy has made to the church. And we took time to think about something appropriate uh, to use the gift for and we came up with the idea of these banners. Let me just say a little bit about the the banners that we have. We have commissioned Penelope Duffy um, to make these banners. We spoke to to Penny a a good number of uh, months ago. Amy was really the lead on this. Amy is an artist uh, and she designed and created the panel. She studied textiles at Aberdeen Gray School of Art in the late 1980s. Her main work is involved in uh, the creation of theatre and dance costume design and construction. We were really grateful that, that Penny came on board and for the time that she took to listen to Chrissy's story, uh, to get a, a sense of the environment of this sanctuary and to put everything together in the art uh, that you see behind me, a little bit about each banner now you 'll be able to read a lot more of this uh, on the, the web page very soon, and it will be incorporated into the history um, of the church. But the banner that says "Faith, let me say something about that. It tells a story faith with interlocking symbols. You will see sunrise and you will see sunset. You will see an anchor representing the steadfastness of faith and, of course, the connection with a window that we have over at this side of the church. You will see a crown of thorns. You will see a goblet. You will see the sun's rays. The rays lighten the path to hope and Righteousness. righteousness. You will see cypress trees. The interaction of the symbols interwoven in the coupling pattern of triangles almost appear cog-like, suggesting the functionality of faith and the relationship of faith with the church. There are birds representing creation, expressing the vortex of life. You will see the church itself, Our church incorporating the original wooden structure from the 1880s and you will see a ship's wheel representing guidance, the guidance that comes from God. This banner tells us about grace, reflecting the uplifting sense of support and joy. A crazy patchwork replicating the stained glass of this adjacent window containing elements of local Victorian architecture like the Faith Banner. Hands feature very importantly in this, and this is a a connection with Chrissy's desires. The hands of care, the hands that bring us love, the hands that bring us grace, the hands shaking above the image, suggesting fellowship and unity and friendship and community and assistance shown to others we have the baptism font a reminder of God's grace given through baptism a golden goblet again mirroring the other um, banner on this side of the church the crown of thorns is now sprigged with daffodil emblems repeated in each corner connected to the celebration of the last supper and baptism meaning new life from death the grace of God in action.
2: As a minister of this parish, will you receive the gift of these banners in the name of Christy in honour of her birthday, marking her long-time service to the church and dedicating to the glory of God?
0: On behalf of the congregation, I gratefully and thankfully accept the gift of these banners. In the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, I dedicate them to the glory of God and declare them to be set apart for use in this space in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's great that we have uh, Penny with us today. So um, rather than uh, asking everybody to come out to the front, uh, knowing Chrissy and Penny, uh, happy to blend in with the congregation uh, today. But thank you, Penny, for uh, the, the time that you took, uh, for your gifts and for your talents that have put together uh, such a, a wonderful uh, display for us to enjoy not only today, uh, but for months and years to come. And thank you, Chrissy. Uh, for your service to the church and for your gift of these banners. Uh, We will all enjoy them and looking at them uh, week after week. We listen for the word of God as we read it in the second chapter of James this morning. We're going to read James chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. And then verses 14 to 17. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, And if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. While to the one who is poor, you say, stand there, sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be the heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbour as yourself." But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of his holy word. We continue our service singing hymn 685 For everyone born, a place at the table. Look you all look fabulous this morning, can I just say i 'm um, not too bad either, yeah, um, but I wonder how long have you taken to choose what you were going to take from your wardrobe to put on this morning? Was it a quick choice? Five minutes, or was it one of these moments of standing there for half an hour, not being able to decide what to wear? We like to look good, not just when we come to church, but when we're going anywhere. We like to look good, I imagine, for ourselves. But I think also we want to make an impression on the people that we're meeting or that we might meet. Sometimes we are dressing because we want to show respect to the occasion, if there's a particular event that we're going to, and we think, well, yeah, that just won't do. I need to put on this to to look the part for this event I am attending. Now, for ministers, it's actually quite easy, Um, particularly in the past. um, I actually meant to kind of get my old gowns out that probably moths have probably been eating them um, in the cupboard, but I was going to display them on a hanger. Um, But... It used to be quite easy. Ministers just covered themselves up, putting on, uh, well, it would have been black in those days, and, and just to cover up. And I think there is something about that that was almost kind of to say that all ministers therefore looked the same. No one minister was better dressed, was richer, had a better wardrobe than anybody else. That ministers looked the same, covering up uh, their daily garments, if you like. A wee bit like school uniforms, that need the argument about should we wear school uniforms or not? The argument that, well, if you're wearing a school uniform, at least everybody's dressed the same and, and nobody's kind of dressing in Ralph Lauren or Calvin Klein's and, and other people are, are feeling a bit bad because their family can't afford that type of clothing. You, you, get, you get the picture. Coming to church is an interesting concept when it comes to what to wear. Where, where I grew up in, in Motherwell, um, there was about 70 elders at the start of the service would process in um, at 11 o'clock. Now, that in itself said that they had a place of honour uh, because they were the important ones coming in in a, in a march. And, well, the men would not have no tie. They would have a tie on and a suit, um, when I went to Bear's Dead it was slightly more casual. And, and the good thing about this congregation for the last 15 years is that generally people come quite relaxed. Some come in suits, some come in shirts and ties, other people don't. People come relaxed, ready to worship. But it's not always the same when it comes to church. The, re- the arena of church over the years has been... As much a fashion show as other arenas of society. The idea of wearing one's Sunday best. The ladies in their hats and the men in their suits. But I want you to think of other ways that the church as an establishment has shown a particular regard for how it appears. Imagine. Imagine. A gong sounds in an Edinburgh marble corridor. A fanfare of trumpets is heard from the courtyard outside, and a stately procession mounts the ancient staircase. All the great and good of the land are there the First Minister, the Provost with his golden chain, the Lord High Commissioner. In 2021, none other than the second in line to the throne. Accompanied by the royal purse bearer and a cast of characters who would not seem out of place in a Gilbert and Sullivan opera. Inside the assembly hall, there are more spaces this year, of course, than people, but those who are there rise to their feet to await the entry of this important procession. They turn and they bow in a mutual gesture of homage. And then the business of the week begins. What's the business? Well, the Church of Scotland business. The church, the earthly representative of the man who shunned and offended the powerful people of his day. The man who told the rich that they were unlikely to enter into heaven. The man who treated women and children, sick people and foreigners with respect and expected all people to do the same. And the man notorious for the bad company that he kept. See the contrast there. The Church of Scotland is not alone in finding today's passage from James with its condemnation of hierarchy and pomp and ceremony and misplaced social deference, an uncomfortable read. The former moderator, the reverend, sorry, I should say the very reverend, let's keep this uh, image of how we talk about things in church and the language we use, the very reverend Martin Fair, in a big interview with Neil Mackay in the Herald on Sunday the 4th of April, Traces the roots of this problem back to the fourth century, the conversion of the Emperor Constantine. because at that point, Christianity was no longer separate from politics and government and pomp and ceremony and, mm-hmm. and, and the civil power. The church became immersed in it. The church and the ceremony of the state has gone hand in hand since. But clearly, when we look into the words of James, we realise that this issue was around a long time before Constantine. James is sending out a warning. A warning to local churches who were treating the rich and the powerful of society differently from the poor and the ordinary folks. James is quite simply calling out particular actions which betray his community's devotion to God. He sees how they show favour to the privileged, to the wealthy, to those of high standing. Showing partiality to the rich is idol worship. A tear in the fabric of what Christian community should be, according to James. Jesus' life, miracles, death, resurrection, they're not mentioned explicitly in James. But the impact of Jesus' words and actions are very much reflected. They're taken as the backdrop to all that James tells us. James is all about how we should be in community. Any action that secures individual comfort and pleasure at the expense of another is wrong. The poor, the widowed, the orphaned, the sick are precisely those whom the gathering, the community, must look after their welfare, leads to the welfare of all. I don't know, but I was wondering as I was reading and thinking about this, if Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King had a fondness, perhaps, for the teachings of James. Their struggles in life against oppression based on poverty... The caste, systems, race is one where words and sentiment were never going to be enough. Prayer against poverty or racism or any social economic injustice, prayer on its own is not enough. It's action that's needed to put things right. James believed his community hadn't got their living out of faith right. We don't often in church like to talk about wealth, to talk about wealth matters. Listening to sermons on wealth can be a a problematic one, a difficult one for us all, as is preaching these sermons. In the West and in churches like ours, we rarely talk about it unless perhaps we're having a stewardship drive for actually saying, folks, look, let's consider our giving to the church. But other than that, we, we don't particularly like or feel comfortable about talking about wealth. Maybe it's because well in, in talking about these things, we're talking to stakeholders, people who donate generously to the church. And to hear a sermon about Wealth and about how we give to others is a difficult one. But we can't hide from the fact that God has a bias to the poor. God's kingdom is an upside-down world as we know it, a reversal of normal social hierarchies the elevation of the lowly, and the toppling of those who think of themselves as great. Right through all the Gospels of Mark and Matthew and Luke, they all reflect the same in the teaching of Jesus. This idea of a dualism of living. We, the followers of God, can be one thing or another. We can't be both. If we want to be friends of God, if we want to be faithful to God, then we have to join with God in a bias towards those who endure challenge, poverty, whatever social injustice, that if that is their experience in life, then we, God's people, need to be the ones prepared to address it. I wonder if you've heard of the actor Keanu Reeves. Social media is a funny thing because I think it was... Maybe last week, I happened to click on one link on Facebook to something about Keanu Reeves. And, and since then, every day on Facebook, I'm getting stories about Keanu Reeves. And um, So somehow, I think I was meant to bring Keanu Reeves into our service today. As you know, he's an actor, he's a film director, he's a producer, he's a, a musician. But the story that I clicked on was about he was late for a party in an exclusive club in New York at the end of a, a particular uh, filming for a film. And people were wondering where he was. It turns out he was in the queue outside with the, the common folk uh, just, just waiting his turn to get in. But no one recognised him. If you can picture Keanu Reeves, um, he's got one of those, those faces, perhaps, that's it's just an kind of ordinary face, long hair and a beard. Um, some people wouldn't recognise him. But, but the story goes on. The club owner said, I didn't even know Keanu was standing in the rain waiting to be let in. He didn't say anything to anyone. He travels by public transport. He easily communicates with homeless people on the street. He helps them. After filming The Matrix, he was so upset uh, that the stunt men were getting underpaid that he bought them all a motorcycle. He gave up most of his uh, fee also, for filming one of the Matrix films, because he felt that the, the budgeting of the film was not fair uh, on the, the, the makeup artists and the others involved in the production. He endured much tragedy in his life, and you can read about that online. But despite that, he is somebody who is over generous in the giving away of money, setting aside five million to a clinic to help uh, look at the treatment of leukemia. He says this, I dream of a day where I walk down the street and hear people talk about morality, sustainability and philosophy instead of the Kardashians. Some of you might not know who the Kardashians are, so go and Google them. Or don't Google them, because then you'll get, forever, your life will be consumed by the Kardashians. And that's the opposite of what we're trying to say today. So, folks, in summary, I'm saying, I think that James is being very direct with us this morning. The message that he's sending from afar is this. What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean for you to live life in faith? Faith involves more than affirming theological formulas and doctrines. It requires a thorough reorientation of one's life, an ongoing commitment to the bias of godly love. If bias and Christian faith are in any way partners, it can only be when that bias is for those most likely in the world to be cast aside. It cannot be as a bias towards those who dress well, the character in James's story, standing as a metaphor for seeking to emulate what the world sets as the ideals and the goals to attain. Instead, the goals have to match with God's dream for creation in the world, which is equality in all things, a fair sharing, Respect for all, not hunger for power, but a hunger for respect and for that to be the fabric that makes the world tick. That's what it means to be faithful to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we have listened, we've sung, we presented our gifts of money, we presented ourselves. We have worshipped you. In return, you have presented us with your word. and we are called challenged to commit ourselves to living as your people, to doing more for our world. And our fellow brothers and sisters. The trouble is, you've made it clear that commitment, promises, and words on their own are not enough. Intention is only the start of the journey. The destination of faith is only arrived at when actions speak louder than our words. So let our lives be the proof of the sincerity of our concern for others and desire to make a difference by our faith. Fill us with creative anger, with an energy for change, so that we will not rest until every person on earth has food and clothes and shelter, education and safety, and above all the unshakable assurance the knowledge that they're loved and that they are worth loving. No way can we do this all on our own. So we thank you, God, that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit to guide and fuel us. Help us in this week and in the time ahead to listen for the Spirit and to be guided that we might get our priorities sorted out. And if we are in any doubt about what we are to do, what we are to decide, what we are to campaign for, what to offer ourselves for, then let us use the example of your son Jesus Christ as our inspiration. Lead us to his default of loving one another as you have loved us. Amen. We close our service with hymn 543, Longing for Light, We Wait in Darkness. place to live faithfully in our communities and in our world. And may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit rest and remain with you and all whom you love today and forevermore. Amen.